Well, I got some good news, folks. Oh. This weekend, guess what? What? We get an extra hour of sleep. Yes. I love sleep, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I'm going to need it because, you know, I got to I got to sleep off this depression I'm in right now. What's what's wrong? You got seasonal depression? No, no, I think I'm okay there. Uh, something happened Tuesday. Did did somebody hurt you? No, I, I didn't get hurt. Mm. Oh. Nobody hurts. Show me on the Terry McAuliffe doll where they touched you. <laughs> Nobody hurts the snake. Well, what, what happened, Ryan? Well, my candidate lost. Oh, man. But my other candidate won. Oh, well, I'm so sorry that, you know, it wasn't Stefan Mihailu's night. I'm, I'm sorry for your loss. It's all right. I'll cope. And welcome back to a very somber square podcast i mean we're still vibing not for all of us here we got a big winner here today but we do have a big winner with us tonight because this is late night at the square we're recording on wednesday evening uh when's when we drop this one rye whenever whenever i can get time to whenever you can get time to produce it well listener we are coming to you directly the day after yes the big the big races the big game it happened, and uh, spoiler alert: a lot of L's were being held, including by the pod. This podcast, by the way, we're holding some L's too, and we'll we'll talk about that um, about uh, the election night shenanigans. But as always, it's Re, it's Snake, yes, it's Jim, that's me, and our very special guest, the big winner out of Cheektowaga, Brian Nowak. Gentlemen, hello. Brian, we'll talk about your race in the Cheektowaga Council um, in a bit here, but we're going to dive right into it, my dudes. We're going to talk about the the headliner, the main event in the city of Buffalo. Of course, we are talking about the mayoral election. Woof. So the ballots have, yeah, 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 that's the biggest slide whistle you can really give. The ballots have not all yet been counted, so we don't have final percentages, but Let's start here. Our boy Rusty with his model that we'd be looking at, what was it 57,000 voters thereabouts, Jim? That was his projection in August. Our boy at Rust Belt Geo on, on the tweets had, had, a, had that number lined up. I think that's about the number that we got. Yeah, it was like 56 to 57,000 was the number of votes. So not, not bad seeing as he was three months out when he made his projection. So we had a rough idea of how many voters were showing up. Uh, turns out we all fucked up about how they'd vote. Whoops. Whoops. Well, they all wrote in jazz miles, right? I mean, I guess that's a possibility. Well, we won't know till they open the machines. Yeah. But, uh, I, I, it's sure it's theoretical that they all wrote in jazz miles Mm -hmm. and, uh, get ready for your drone city. Yep. I mean, what do you say about a massacre? I want to put a positive spin on it that a campaign like Walton's pulling in the kind of percentage that it did, you know, obviously a, a transform, a transformative, uh, a socially justice minded campaign, something really unheralded in the city of Buffalo. I, I, I do want just to get this out of the way now, because I'm not trying to kick a bunch of people that we know and that we're friends with while they're down. So we're going to start with this caveat that those people who worked on that campaign, who believed in that campaign and, and gave their, blood sweat and tears and worked those polls and made those calls and, and did all the work like props to you you guys really put yourselves out there for a very good cause yeah i mean well it turns out like when 
corporate Dems and nationwide Republicans unify together, they're a pretty strong force. I mean, that's one part of it. We, I, I, we can't dismiss that. I mean, we, we had a thought, Jim, that maybe Byron Brown fucked up the primary, you know, not, not, not fucked up the primary, but that he kept it small on purpose, that effectively he didn't try to fundraise, he didn't try to bring too much oxygen to the primary to kind of cut off India Walton's oxygen. I, I think we can safely say that Byron Brown just fucked up the primary. You know, we talked about it when we had Weigel on the show, and, and you know, Weigel was like, yeah, I talked to the mayor, and the mayor basically was like, yeah, I fucked up. Like, I, I, I made a mistake here. Um, he he's, turned, he's turned Mastin against himself, hasn't he? Mastin, wow, was, that, was, that was very strange to see the way Mastin kind of flipped, uh, but the way that Delaware District flipped as well. Yeah. I, I want to I preface this, first off, by saying, like, I don't... This is going to sound a little bit silly at first, but I don't think Byron Brown, the political actor, won this election. If that were the case, I think he would have had that primary stitched up there wouldn't be you know we would have seen this in the primary if byron brown the savvy political politician that we've known over these you know 15 16 years was what was on the ballot i think that we wouldn't have gotten to this point what i think won and to india walton's credit like she never said she was the defund the police candidate she never said she was the anti-police candidate didn't matter i think this was a referendum by Buffalo police and their family and friends and supporters that effectively painted India Walton as the anti-police candidate. Well, I mean, look, BTF also pulled their endorsement. I think that had an impact as well. I mean, I think this was the public employee unions as a whole, basically uh, combining to riot against a candidate that they didn't understand. Yeah. And I mean, we're here. (laughs) We're doing the dissection here. Why do you think that is, Jim? Well, I mean, like I said, they didn't understand what she was. It's been so long since somebody's run in the city on a platform of ideas that they didn't understand that. They didn't they didn't they didn't get that. Like they're like, well, no. What about the machine? Well, there's a tweet going around today that she didn't have the union bug on her mailings that for whatever reason, I think she intended to. But something there there was something. The mayor didn't have the union bug on all of his mailings either. Well, there you go. And um, that she said something about charter schools, and I'm sure she's not a pro-charter school candidate, but I don't know if that came across the wrong way or mm-hmm. if she didn't talk to the right people, but the fact of the matter remains, she didn't get that support. Right. I mean, the flip side of that, and I hear you, that there are probably plenty of people who maybe didn't understand the message. That's also on the campaign. You've got to put in a lot of work, and I'm not saying that they didn't try to do overtures to those, you know, those public unions. But at the same time, it is incumbent upon your campaign to get that message out there, to express it, and to get those people on board with you. I, I, I hear what you're saying, but like when you had basically all of the mainstream news media working against your campaign and quelling any chance that you like any every time that that campaign tried to get their ideas and their their plans out there into a more diverse market, tried to get news media to cover them instead they were like what about your parking tickets how come you're a drug dealer it was a lopsided thing in the media the the buffalo news coverage and with the with that article in particular about uh it, it, it was absolutely not the, the article that they did in the news a lot of the articles in the news they weren't up to journalistic standards that you would get taught 
as a professional, you know, you can't just go with anonymous sources all the time. And, you know, there was so much information was getting fed from, uh, from police sources to, to back up these articles and shape this stuff. So you talk about it being, you know, the BPD and the friends and family, and there's a lot of truth to that. You know, uh, the, the media coverage was absolutely lopsided. There was no attempt for the local channels to be objective. And why would they? Again, and I, I think you guys are right. I mean, I have eyes and I have ears, okay? I, I I saw it on TV, and I would see it on the internet, and it just kind of blew me the fuck away. I also don't think it was unexpected that I think the Walton campaign could have probably predicted that we would see this level, maybe not this level, it was it was quite egregious, but they was, would have certainly anticipated it. We We talked in the summer, guys, about there being a decided lull in the campaign. I think those were the weeks and months where they needed to build a bedrock foundation and really hone that message in to, to be able to combat it. Now, I'm not saying she, listen, let me start. Like, I don't know if she, even if she has like, if she did everything perfect, I don't know if she wins this race, but I also don't think that you tell me this was a 60, 40 won by a write-in candidate. It tells me something was wrong or something something was not executed on the campaign on a certain level do people just love their police is that what it was yeah yeah i think i think that's i think that's a fair statement is that people love licking boots and eating dog shit yeah i mean like dude look man like we have to think critically about this i'm not being glib i'm not being i'm I'm not trying to be contrarian we we and when I say we, I guess I'm talking about like a collective left wing or uh, a Twitter consensus or, you know, whatever the case may be, certainly have our, our critiques or our belief that the, the institution of policing is, is flawed in America. Certainly in, in Buffalo, um, there are plenty of examples of that. At the same token, we have to remember that it, when when people who are police are their family members here, they're not thinking about the institution being criticized. They're thinking about their brother, you know, cousin, uncle, sister, and they're thinking about their jobs being taken away. Yeah, but it, it's, it, I guess where my frustration lies, like it being part of like this leftist group is that like, is if you criticize the police structure, you're, you're right. People go, but my brother's a cop and he's a good cop. And if the crazy right wing go, Teachers are bad because they're teaching critical race theory. People go, yeah, fuck teachers. Fuck teachers, fire them all. So it's okay to be insane on the right wing in this country, and the major party that you're part of will embrace you and run to your side. But if you try to be critical on the left wing, you get shit, you get rat fucked by the mainstream Democratic Party, and they work with Republicans to do it. So is that just the way it is? What do you do about that? I, it's, I think I, it's incumbent I, upon I, the left to I, educate. I, I'm you. in a real revolutionary <laughs> frame of mind right now, so don't ask me what you do about I it. I think we all are, Jim. I think, but when you get to the issue of policing, every survey you see, or and and we can get to anecdotal stuff in a second. Every survey you see is 90, 10, 80, 20, generally pro police. You get folks that, in the same survey responses, can be critical of policing, of the institution, of of specific practices but they still want police in their neighborhoods for whatever variety of reasons. So you can be critical and and want them to be robust in your neighborhood, quote-unquote fully funded, whatever the hell that's supposed to mean. And there's an irony there that we should get to 
maybe a little bit later, but these folks are talking about fully funding the police. The next sentence out of their mouth is cutting taxes. Uh, <laughs> but that's part of the challenge is yeah. that you got to deal with a group of folks that both want their neighborhoods to be safe and recognize that you need to change policing in some ways. Yeah. And again, I mean, I didn't intend this discussion to become a referendum on the police, but I think the voters of Buffalo, New York said that was the case. You don't get the kind of turnout that you saw from South District without a serious reckoning on that topic. Like they made their voices very loudly heard. So again, Rusty is our is our hero, as always, and puts together the the pretty data maps and helps us analyze the the facts and turn it into content. But India Walton, like she she took Maston, right? She split Maston. She split Maston. That's a pretty big deal, right? I mean, that's that's Byron Brown's bread and butter has yeah. been for many years. Um, she she won Niagara as expected, not but not like she did in the primary, right? Not like she did in the primary. She lost Delaware District. She did lose Delaware District. It was a big share of the vote out of Delaware too. So. Yeah, Delaware's the highest voting district as far like just historically and, in the city. And South was second. I mean, and yeah. that's something interesting. In the South results is just it. If if it were if it really was the Buffalo News, I think it was, it said eighty four percent of the votes were write-ins. If it really was, you know that racism and misogyny explain some of the voting patterns in in, in parts of the city. But it goes beyond that in South Buffalo. You don't have those kind of numbers, you bring a cross-section of folks from that district with all different diverse points of view for some reason or another that they do the write-down. I think the difference between the write-ins and the Walton votes was something a little over 10, 11,000. So s- suppose Ben Carlisle did get his 10,000 write-in votes in the mayor's race. You know, Byron still got enough to mm-hmm. to win this thing. That's how That's how big the gulf was. So what about the polling anomalies? What about the poll workers stamping and filling things in for people? I mean, how much how much did that have to do with the result? I, I think what, if it was closer, it would be something that we'd want to talk about. Right, but right. I mean, like this was such such a thorough victory that we'll we'll see what happens. I you know I saw on the news today that the the board of elections were like as soon as we heard, we sent somebody out there and we fired those poll inspectors and. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly from the news, it was Republican inspectors doing it. Okay. And they referred it to the DA's office. And, you know, we'll see what the election police do. Okay. And that's the thing. <laughs> the question will be, you count all the write-ins. So are they all Byron write-ins? There's such a big gulf. I mean, I don't see, in all seriousness, the various throwaway write-ins and the, and the candidates that were declared getting more than 1,000 of those, if that. Yeah, no. Uh, Ryan, to your question, I, uh, I'm with Jim. I don't think that um, these anomalies had anything to do with the the results i mean it's it's by such a wide margin well people are going to be wondering i had to ask the question Uh, sure and i mean i guess it's fair to wonder and and there's always a little bit of that after a losing election you know like oh did somebody did we did we get fucked but Mm -hmm. it it wasn't it wasn't that 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 fucked you (laughs) i I promise um yeah man like this was I, i don't want to go too too much longer on this but I, I, I mean, we kind of built our fucking little podcast empire here on this election. So it's the past six months. Yeah. India herself told us that we were like the first outlet to really give her a platform. Yep. So we were happy to do it and we're happy to do it. And I would do it again. And yeah. and when I offer any kind of critiques or anything, it's not to, to bash India Walton, who I find to be you know one of the most commendable people that I've ever met. 
um, to put herself out there doing this. Like my God, the she things did, that she did great. That woman, the things the thing the things that woman had to deal with throughout the course of this campaign, it, it would break. It would certainly break me. I, I don't think yes. I could deal with yeah. even well, a quarter I, of... Yes. I hope she's still strong because, as we know, the mayor is a vindictive prick, and he's going to treat her like shit for the next four years, too. Well, before we switch topics, I just want to ask, what what does the future hold for India Walton? Does she run for a council seat? Does she run for mayor again? What does it look like? I mean, realistically, I mean, and again, Rusty tweeted this out yesterday, is, you know, if you want to make sustained change in the city, next year are committee seats. Yep. Organize, go after the committee, change that whole structure. Because then you can change the executive committee structure for at the executive level for the EC Dems. And maybe you can get some more support. And if you are in those committees with the cops and the city workers who are on the committees, or maybe they're off the committee now because you took their seats, but some of them are going to be there anyways. And you can explain the ideas and you can get those ideas across. Maybe they won't misunderstand them or maybe they won't be afraid. Say a listener is interested in joining committee. How do they do that, Jim? Well, don't contact Zellner. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's move on to, to that because that Jeremy Zellner had a night for himself last night. And uh, I, I tweeted some harassing tweets, tweets at him last night, which I've since deleted. I, I will harass you uh, over a podcast medium instead, Jeremy, because you are a failure. Failure. You're a jagaloon. Zellner. Holy shit. No, I thought, what I thought, a fucking... I thought, I thought we were stuck on calling him Zellnuts. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. sorry okay. I broke kayfabe. Okay. Zellnuts. Come on, man. Are you meaning to tell me, Jim, they lost the sheriff's race? Yeah, it looks that way, huh? That's That really stunned me. Because it, you have a highly qualified Democrat running in what was a four-way race against three Republicans in a county like Erie County, which is heavily Democratic. And you should have higher turnout in your Democratic city, the, your your seat of the county where you never get high democratic turnout in a general election because the Republicans intentionally don't run anybody because they don't want Democrats turning out. This was gift wrapped to have a democratic sheriff for the first time since Tom Higgins. I mean, I don't want to say it was a slam dunk. I talked to somebody about this about six weeks ago and said, I'm not saying it's a slam dunk that she should win, but it's basically like an uncontested layup. Did more Republicans actually turn out for whatever reason though? Well, I don't know. I mean, you're going to see... We'll Do they see think the, they were going to be able to vote for Byron Brown? Well, even. yeah, but even if the Republicans turned out, like I mean, in the rest of the county, Democrats turned out in the city. Yes. And it turns out they didn't vote straight-line Democrat. Right. We're gonna turn. It's going to turn out that a lot of them just didn't vote for anybody besides Byron Brown because that was Byron Brown's messaging is, fuck everybody else, vote just for me because I'm the only person who matters. I was, I was arguing with a friend about this. I was like, there are going to be people who are going to jump lines. And they're like, no, 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 people don't jump lines anymore. I was like, Republicans don't jump lines anymore, but independents and Democrats will jump lines. And they're going to they're gonna jump lines, and they're going to jump lines for Garcia. Brian, you're our uh, resident elected official here and uh, worked on a campaign yourself, which we will we will talk about. But can you give any insight to what you, what you saw from ECDC with regards to the sheriff's race, anything? I mean, we're laymen here. We have some political knowledge, but it, it seems like it was quite lacking. 
It's a lot of things. You you have to look at the town committees. You have well-meaning people in town committees that are very busy, working full-time jobs, trying to run the committees. Sometimes they're candidates themselves. They don't have the energy to devote to get to, to get volunteers out to help build things up. So it just seems like what's happened in the last several years is fewer and fewer people are, are getting involved, whether it's burnout, whether they just don't give a damn anymore, that it's getting harder to, to get robust committees in a lot of these suburbs to do some of the legwork to, to help get the, the word out for the candidates. I think that's part of it. But if you look at the just at the results, Garcia won the R versus D vote. I don't remember the last time that's happened in a sheriff's race. Yeah. I mean, Ted Donato polled like 6%. Karen Healy Case polled 3%. Three and a half, right? Right. Yeah. Are you kidding? If you would have told me before this election that Ted Donato and Karen Healy Case got a combined 10% of the fucking vote, I would have said that Kim Beatty was laughing her way to the bank. Yeah. You know, what I want to hear about this race is the beginning of the analysis from folks at uh, Erie County headquarters is... Okay, we lost by 5,500 votes. Let's see how the absentees goes. They probably favor Kim, get her closer. What happened to the working families line? And why wasn't Kim on the working families line? Mm -hmm. Because that wasn't an error from the candidate. That wasn't a fatal flaw on a petition. I I mean, people in the know know what happened there. And I'm not going to say it, but Kim could have had that line in the general. And if she had it, she would have won. But Kevin got... Kevin Hardwick, he got about 12,000 votes on that? Yeah. So that's what happened. Incompetence. Jealousy, rage, I don't know. He didn't, get the, he didn't give uh, BD the working families line. Had that been done, she'd be the sheriff. And I mean, again, it's hard not to take a little bit broader view, look at the two black woman candidates who are on the ballot, the backbone of the Democratic Party, remember, mm-hmm. the ones who are responsible pretty much for Joe Biden winning in 2020, at least by most political analysis. And yet here in our own city, Jeremy Zellner let two black women candidates down completely. Full stop. I, I will say that, you know, part of this is going to be on the Kim Beatty campaign. They did do, a, let's say, underwhelming job of fundraising. And now ECDC should have stepped in to help kick in. And maybe at that point when they realized that the, the Kim Beatty campaign was not raising funds, just say we're taking over your fundraising machine and raise and raise money for you. Something had to be done because the, the the campaign was underwhelming with fundraising, and we know that they can do it because they basically ran Hardwick's fundraising. And something else about the organization is ECDC isn't like hundreds and thousands of people that do all this work. No, it's it's like fifteen. It's not they're they're human beings. I mean, and, and as much as I get frustrated with the county party sometimes. There are really hardworking people that that'll be up all night cutting walk sheets, getting you the absentee list you need, doing this, doing that, doing the third thing. They're they're doing their best as human beings. There's just not enough bandwidth to deal with these things. So part of why the why the sheriff's race didn't go so well, at least from the party perspective, is what were the other priorities? Where did Democrats actually win? They won in Hamburg. I mean, that Hulk race was a priority. And to my mind personally, I think it should have been. I think you send a message that when you have a racist fascist, even if he's just playing it on TV, uh, running for supervisor, you got to shut that down. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of the energy and the focus from folks in the organization were more so on that than on the sheriff's race. Not that they didn't care about it, but you're human beings. You only have so much time to do some work, you know? Let me... me 
throw this out there because maybe the listeners know, maybe they don't remember. A lot of shit has happened this election season, so I forgive you for not remembering all the minutiae, but Kim Beatty was not the endorsed candidate going into the primary. Brian Gould was the endorsed candidate. Kim Beatty sought the endorsement, sought the nomination, um, was told that she was, you know, sorry, you're not going to get it, even though you are the most qualified candidate, uh, had dropped out of the race at that point and was rallied back into it, you know, thanks to Betty Jean Grant and to her supporters network, and then ultimately won that primary. How much of you're not really our preferred candidate do you think went into this? Well, I would bet a fair amount. There's a reason why the Hardwick race was more focused on by the executive leadership committee and the Hamburg supervisor race was focused on and the sheriff's race was second fiddle. I mean, and part of it was like they didn't want to give Lynn Dixon a soapbox like the controller's office and let her attack polling cars for four years. Whereas they viewed the sheriff's race as a luxury. It'd be nice to have, but it's not important, which is crazy because management confidential positions pay very much, way better at the sheriff's office. And there's a lot more of them than there are on the controller's office. You know, part of the thing with the sheriff's race too, is that folks that, that works for the sheriff's office, you know, they had a, I think a fair amount of them had a clear preference in that race and they have a right to, to volunteer politically and do the things they want to do. And they did that, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, so, I mean, and that's a piece of it. And, I mean, if, say, the endorsed Democrat Gould had won that primary, I mean, we could do Monday morning quarterbacking, but I don't know. Gould wouldn't have had the working families line either. So let's start there. Going into the race, he would have had the same D next to his name. He would have had the same structural supports from the party. He's a wonderful person. I can't say enough good about him in terms of good government and wanting to do the best he can the way that he sees it. I don't know the kind of time he would have had to devote to, to campaigning and that's hard for candidates. Uh, would the outcome have been different if the endorsed candidate would have won? Who knows? You know, you might have had some of those folks that went to Garcia stay on the Dem line, but you might not have had the energy in the city either. It's kind of like a lose-lose situation. You know, mm-hmm. like both candidates are losing part of the coalition for different reasons. So can you get to 50% plus one? It's kind of, you, you can't, I mean, you get the idea. No, no, no. I, and like, I hear you, right? Like, I don't know. I, I think I think Garcia wins by more, if, if I'm being honest, if it's Gould on the ballot instead of Kim Beatty. But, I mean, again, this is emblematic to me of Jeremy Zellner's mismanagement as a campaign chair, like as, as head of the ECDC. I know he's human. I know everybody involved here. We're talking about human beings with flaws who make mistakes. But you have to read the room. You have to prioritize the races that you view important. It's pretty clear that Jeremy Zellner did that. They just don't align with what we believe were the important races for him. And ultimately, I think that is bad for us as people in Western New York. I think that's a failure to us where many people in the county would have viewed having Kim Beatty as our first black woman sheriff as a as a major, major step forward and, and something that could have gone a long way to... I don't know, helping helping fix that institution, at least in the wake of Tim Howard. Right. Well, it, this gets to, you know, one of the priorities for Erie County was maintaining the majority in the ledge so that they can do what they want to do for polling cars. And, you know, we're going to talk about like, Gilmore because ECDC, it looks like basically threw their hands up and said, we don't know how to handle South Buffalo, so we're not going to do anything there. And because of that, 
Gilmore, who has South Buffalo, who knows if he actually wins. It's that close. And Hamburg has a, 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 a well-organized committee, as we talked about when we had Hoke on. And I think that did a lot for them to carry Hoke across the line against a relatively well-heeled supervisor candidate in Mahilu, who certainly got more than his share of press. Wait, say what you will about him real quick. I mean, he's... He's, his his campaign was disgusting, but in terms of getting press, in terms of staying on the message he wanted to do, those kind of things, he's a really good candidate in that way. It's awful what he's campaigning on in his, in, in his messaging, what he's literally saying, but performatively, he's executing this stuff well. There's something that all the candidates that struggled or lost, as strange as it sounds, there's something constructive you can learn from Stefan Mahailu. Absolutely, and in fact, I mean, again, piece of shit, but commendable in that, like, I thought that was going to be a washing. It wasn't. <laughs> it, it it was, like, Hoke soundly won. It wasn't the kind of beating that I thought we could have seen. I mean, I didn't expect to, it to be a absolute annihilation, just because, I mean, you gotta remember, Hamburg voted for Trump twice. I mean... Say what you about Chicktawaga, second time they voted for Biden. Yeah, so. I, I, and this could be my naivete that... One, you know, Randy Hoke being an established political figure in, in Hamburg, and two, Stefan being pretty much a clown. Um, I thought that the voters of Hamburg would, you know, overwhelmingly reject him. And they only, I don't want to say tepidly, it, it was definitely like a rejection. You know, Hoke won the campaign, but Stefan did quite well relative to his resources, relative to, you know, we, we've tracked how his political stature sort of fallen apart. He did good. Like he honestly did good relative to, to what he had on hand. And we talked a little bit about this before, uh, before we started recording, but the wind was at the back of conservatives and Republicans generally yesterday. So Stefan had a built-in advantage in terms of that. You look at the early voting versus the day of voting, the conservative and Republican candidates did a lot better than early voting. So I, I mean, it, in any other year where turnout was higher and things were more favorable to Democrats, Stefan might have lost by 10 to 15. And that's part of why it was so close. It's not that Hoke and the Hamburg Dems and ECDC didn't do a great job. It was just the, the general environment in Erie County, Western New York. Not to belabor this, but like, the Republicans really did have, like you said, Brian, a, a favorable wind behind their backs. And who's to say where that came from? Um, it could be the polarizing nature of the, the Brown versus Walton campaign with all the major dollars and press that came into it that the Republicans, they just, they had to lift their sails too. It's entirely possible that, you know, that's, that's what it was. Yeah, no, I was surprised by, by Stefan a, a bit. But Randy won. You know, shout out to him. He's a winner. He took it down. It was a good campaign. It was a pretty mild campaign. You know, he presented himself as the serious adult in the room in a Hamburg electorate, which while they did vote for Trump, they like to view themselves. It's funny, uh, a district that voted for Trump twice, but yet I think they have a quite the high opinion of themselves as like being the adults in the room. So whatever. But in Randy Hoke, you did get a, a, an adult in the room for not, not to... Whatever, I, I don't know. I guess it's a loaded term. But he, he is a, a very level-headed uh, individual. We like him a lot. He's a good guy. And I, I think he's going to do a good job in Hamburg. Um, so so shout out to Randy, the hoaxer. Hokamania, running wild over you, Hamburg. Paint the damn water tower into a hamburger. hamburger. Make it happen, Randy. Yes. We know you listen because <laughs> you've been You got to do the yellow and red. You got to get the, the, the Hogan, like, uh, the, the font. Oh, yeah. Right. 
Yeah. And did Hamburg, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, that was... And you know what? Hokeberg. Here's 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 the the more interesting thing because I mean look I think Randy's got that seat locked down for quite some time barring anything crazy but where Stefan Mahailu where does he go after this and this is more of a rhetorical question friends but where does he go does he does he straight to hell yeah I mean does he does he hang around in politics does he go to my theory is he goes back to media somehow that's that's one option the other option is he hangs out and he tries to run a supervisor's race as a republican maybe he runs a primary i'm sure the republicans find a candidate the the county executive race is what i meant i don't know if i said that the first time but it's obvious that he's always been angling towards either that or congress so maybe maybe he just gives that a shot in two years you know but in the meantime he's gonna have to find something to do to earn some money Yep, yep. It won't be out in Hamburg, at least for now. I mean, it could be in Hamburg. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll do what has always been my fallback plan, which is sell cigarettes outside of private high school. Yes, and so <laughs> for like three dollars a cigarette outside of St. Francis, cigarettes are cool, right? Yes, and those and those kids at St. Francis, they love them. That's a hell of a profit, sixty dollars. You know it, sixty bucks a pack. Yeah, it's, it's a I feel n- myself getting sucked into this. I'm kidding. It's a joke. <laughs> I'm not selling Lucy's. No Lucy's. All right, uh, we've got another winner in Kevin Hardwick beats Lynn Dixon. You know, before we get to the Hardwick race, I I did bring a oh. surprise to the snake pit. Oh, oh. okay. Oh, what a yeah. delight! Yeah. Oh, is the- so what we got here is Proddy Proddy Piper. <laughs> it's this is a cattle prod. Oh, okay. Oh. What's going to happen here? Oh, okay. So no, it's you guys can go ahead. I just okay. I just wanted to get it ready. I don't know if I want to. I just, gonna... I just wanted to get it all set. Okay. Are you gonna, I'm all right. I'm Are all you right. gonna prod the snake? I'm, I'm the one sitting closest. Jim, Jim, Jim's next <laughs> to you, Brian. Oh, okay. Right. Oh, oh, uh, we, so we didn't proceed, know. Proceed. Oh no, yeah, That's no, what no, I brought today. Yeah, we didn't we're know going, it was a we're cattle going prod. on as normal now with okay. with Brian Noah with a cattle prod. <laughs> Proddy, Proddy Piper. Carry- <laughs> oh yeah, I I see that. Yeah. That does, wow. Does that make any noise? Can we make a noise in the microphone with that? Does, like in a, is that yeah, a I, you you, you got to press the button down and then like shock something. Uh, okay. You got a metal door there? You, uh, oh boy, it is. This is how we're gonna burn down the snake pit. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Uh, nothing. <laughs> no well, juice. Let's cover Hardwick and let's- then one of you guys can shock me and we'll get into Chicktawaga. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Oh, Brian Nowak, our uh-huh. our esteemed guest here wild today. Card. Our wild card guest. You never know what you're going to get. But Kevin Hardwick, you know what you were getting. I mean, I guess so. I mean, you know, make the controller's office boring again, right? Yeah. That's, I'm all for it. That was basically his campaign. It was like, I'm pretty competent and I won't talk a lot. And it worked. Right. Yeah. It was. Well, it was surprising to me, and I, I'm really surprised to see the result with, with the turnout that we had in South Buffalo. Lynn used to represent parts of South Buffalo in the county legislature. That she didn't win enough there, mm-hmm. and the votes show that, that Garcia did better in South Buffalo than Lynn Dixon did. That she didn't do better there, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know how that happened. I, I, I don't have an analysis for that. My theory of the case is uh, Kevin's time on WBN for years and years. I wonder if it's that name recognition that going in even, even to Chichitawaga, some of the more conservative areas of uh, town of Tonawanda, Hamburg, some of the other suburbs, that people that might not have otherwise voted for a Democrat knew it was Kevin and said, you know what, I'm going to make an exception and jump off the line for him. 
when they didn't go to WFP, they they went to Democrat and just mm-hmm. held their nose, did it, voted the rest of the ticket for Republicans. I mean, Lynn Dixon is also as exciting as stale bread. Okay, like she she's been hanging around for years. She's she's a woman, but she's just some guy to me, like as a political figure, just just somebody who's out there all the time. You're like, ah, but I mean, she made it tight with polling cars last race. She did. She did. But she should have been the favorite in the in the uh, if if you were going to tell me like, oh, we're going to have fifty seven thousand voters show up in the city of Buffalo and the endorsed Democrat for city of Buffalo mayor is going to lose. And the endorsed Democrat for sheriff is going to lose, but the Democrat is going to win the controller's race. I always said, how does that doesn't work? That math doesn't figure it. And that's the thing. I haven't had enough time to really dig into the town by town numbers, but there's there's something interesting that had to happen where, you know, the, the negative mailers that went into the city of Buffalo, we should probably cover that for a second. Sure. But, you know, Kevin was probably able to combat that and run up the numbers in the suburbs and People may have been soured on Dixon. It may have been four or five things that were all going wrong for her in the, at the same time. Like, oh, the negative campaign, he didn't work and backfired and all these other things, you know. Mm-hmm. But what, uh, the, the negative mailer, did that just go to Democrats in the city of Buffalo? Yeah, like, just city of Buffalo primes. Uh, hell of a thing. It, was, uh, it painted him as a, as a Trump Republican. And that's part of the thing, too, is that the, the Democrat that won countywide and did really well was a Republican three years ago. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, look, like, fair is fair. Uh, <laughs> The Republicans did not view that comptroller's race as a race that they needed to prioritize. And and you could look at it as a, a failure on their end. You could look at it as a strategic, you know, that we're going to concede that race. If we win, it's gravy for us, but we don't need to win it. And we'll stick to the strategy of we're going to make the city a nightmare. And ultimately, it's going to radiate out. That is going to bring in Republicans turning the mayor's race in Buffalo into a lightning rod will expand out throughout the county and bring Republicans in. And I mean, that was successful. Yeah. I went and and they the Republicans did focus on the sheriff's race. And I think part of the reason why is, yes, they view themselves as the law and order party. So they want to always have the sheriff's race. But realistically, in a real politic way, like I said, there's like 15 management confidential positions in the sheriff's office that those have been held by loyal dues paying Republicans for like the last 16 years. And, you know, you don't want to give up six figure patronage jobs when those people are making two to three thousand dollars worth of donations to Republicans every year off of their one hundred and twenty thousand dollars salary to be under sheriff. Yeah, no. And I mean, like, again, we're we're keeping it 100 as they say there's a reason that the republican party in western new york in buffalo can draw in a political figure like ron DeSantis, somebody of that political caliber now is he a giant piece of shit yes but they did it and i don't see the oh the prod ah. <laughs> i just you know sorry i didn't mean to distract you it just hit me no. like, we can test it there see it works it works right, okay <laughs> listeners the prod proddy proddy uh. piper works as we're talking about ron DeSantis. um <laughs> but no like there's a reason that the local republican party is that coordinated and is on, that on top of their game to bring in national political figures and do serious fundraising here whereas we don't see that from the democratic party in yeah. western new york yeah i mean i think there's a couple of things going on i mean i think you know the big money people who tend to be republican anyways but with you know there are big money democrats there's not a lot of them in buffalo the big money people in buffalo tend to be republican so i mean that helps i mean you know and i'm not thinking just like carl Pellegrino and like doug jamal but i'm thinking like bob joya right like you know former ambassador to malta even with the exception of the city 
which is basically just given like in most years, not this year, but in most years, just given a free ride that the Democrats can do whatever they want there and the Republicans don't try. That is in the reverse the case for a ton of the fucking suburbs where the Republicans don't have to put any effort in because they just pick who they want and that person wins because the Democrats don't run anybody. I mean, hell, I saw Nick Langworthy tweet last night, congrats to Frank Todaro on winning an- another term in the county legislature. And in, in, in Nick said, <laughs> deep in a deep blue district. Now that district is, if it's anything, it's red. It, it, like it used to be purple. But it's Lancaster, Alden, and Depew. Lancaster's we're going to talk about the Republicans swept. Alden, like the the supervisor's race in Alden was between somebody on the conservative line and the Republican line. There was no Democrat. <laughs> I would say really quick, I was watching this one. It's one of the ones I was fascinated in. Adamski, the conservative candidate on the C line, got over 40% of the vote. And that was just a big fight over like patronage and, yeah. and control of, of the spoils in the town of Alden. Right, I mean, they had a they had a similar proxy race uh, amount patronage uh, in Alden for the assessor's seat, where you had uh, a Republican versus a conservative. I can't remember the Republican candidate. I think the conservative was Lisa Brown. It's just interesting to me that the Republicans like have their shit together. They have their house in order that they can be the the, the Republicans in Western New York are seen as like a major political fundraising machine within the, the Republican Party as a whole, <clears throat> whereas the Western New York Dems are are certainly not on that national level. But we've got the hometown hero from Cheektowaga here. Okay, we put aside all the... Put aside the... Give them the fucking round of applause. Yes. Yes. USA. We've got a winner in our midst. In the, in the stench of losing, we have coming out smelling like a rose is... Is our boy Brian Nowak? Brian, how the hell did you do it? To set up the context of how I didn't cheat the Wagam, Town of West Seneca was swept by Republicans. It said Lancaster swept by Republicans. These are areas where Democrats compete. They try to win seats. They sometimes do. You've got Democrats used on- to used to always win. Twenty years ago, those were Democratic towns. Right, and Lancaster is kind of a different animal than West Seneca. But West Seneca, they've got Democrats on the board right now. You know, Cheektowaga has. Set to elect the first Republican to the town board in eight years. Now, I had spent the last three months especially going door-to-door pretty much every afternoon that I could. Lit drops, going out talking to people, campaigning my heart out. We had a win number set of a little over 10,000. When I ran in 2017, I got 9,142 votes. Guys in second and first place got over 10,000 votes. We're like, we don't need 10,000 votes to pull this thing off. So... Once the results started coming in in Chittawaga, we see a Republican in the lead. We're like, okay, they're counting South Chittawaga. They're counting Depew. And the more and the more they're counting it, this Jasinski guy who didn't raise a dime, didn't campaign, didn't put a lawn sign up, didn't do anything, ends up taking first place in the race. And he does it with around, I want to say, 7,300 votes, first place winner. And I, I'm in second right now with 71 and change. And in third place was another Republican. This is a town that has a seven-member board, all Democrats, consistently elects Democrats. You throw three Democrats on the ballot, boom, 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 one, two, three, they always win. Except for this year. It was partially was low turnout, partially was rejection of Democrats. But my running mates are currently in fourth and fifth place, respectively, on the ballot or on the, on the list of performance. And I'm second and looking at absentees that are favorable to me. 
but I might end up being the top vote getter when this is all done. Um, and my colleague uh, Polarski is in fourth. He's probably going to end up in third place the way the absentees break. They, they they tend to go Democratic. It's not like Election Day. These people cast their votes before uh, Election Day. But in my case, uh, it was just a bunch of hard work actually campaigning. We ran an ad campaign. We did texting. We did a robocall. You got a good candidate, I get out there and bust my ass. Um, we had good people helping us. It just all the stars aligned and came together. And I kind of know the town. You got to get blank voters. It's, it, even though you have 29,000 and change Democrats to about 13,000 Republicans, you got to convince blanks to vote for you. And you got to make sure the conservative Democrats and even some Republicans are looking at you. And I know for a fact that there are folks that took the ballot, Republican, 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 Republican. They saw my name, they filled me in, and they finished filling the Republican ballot, whether they're friends through the fire service or folks in, in, in other walks of life in the town that they're pretty conservative people that they they made the exception for me because I built personal relationships with them and I asked them for their vote, you know? So that's basically the story of why it was a red sweep in Cheektowaga, ironically red sweep. I don't mean it in that sense, uh, except for the candidate that was getting beat up on social media for the last 11 days for being the socialist. There's some uh, some weirdo in West Seneca started a Stop Socialist <laughs> Brian Nowak group and it got a little weird with a bunch of foot gifts and... <laughs> You know, <laughs> look, yeah. I mean, it's good campaign tactics, I guess. But no, I mean, really, it was a lot of hard work, a lot of people helping and me getting out there. But we were the exception to the rule. We had a great mail program. Nobody beat that. I mean, they can go on and on, but it's just we did everything right. We even mailed letters to the absentees. I bet you none of my running mates and no other candidate did that. What, what would you say, Brian, to the contrarian listeners of this podcast who might be under the impression that, Cheektowaga has somewhere in their charter that says a Polish guy named Nowak always has to be <laughs> on the council. <laughs> mm. it, was it because there, there will be some people, some uh, not me. I love you and you worked your ass off. No, but in all seriousness, I mean, obviously Cheektowaga is a Polish stronghold, but there were other Polish candidates on the ballot. The, the who, other Democrats were, were, were Polish all, names. Were, were Polish names. Like Polarski, it's not, Kaznowski, Jasinski. I mean... Right, right. Yeah. Like, no. And, and again, I, I say I say this in jest mostly, but yeah. just to say, like, nothing's nothing's given. And yeah, like you put in the, the fucking work, dude. Like, that's that's incredible. And, and the thing is, is at the end, I know the voter turnout's down because I've got about seventy one hundred votes and change. And I'm in second place this time. I came in third with over nine thousand the first time in twenty seventeen. So part of the issue is Democrats really didn't show up and. We did everything we could. I mean, going into Election Day, we had folks that were making phone calls off a list, making sure people would get out to vote, you know, phone trees, talking to friends. We did everything that we could with the resources that we had. And I think in my particular case, it shows. And, you know, when folks ask, like, hey, what should I do with the other races? Vote for the Democratic ticket. I'm on the Democratic line. But, you know, you can't you can lead a horse to water and you, you can't make them vote the whole line through. So you're on the ground. You talk to people. You're, you're a volunteer firefighter, right? Mm hmm. So what, what, what do you think uh, is, is dissuading people from voting Democratic right now? Uh, I think part of what you're dealing with in Chituaga is people that are registered Democratic only so they can participate in the primaries. That's, that's the game. So they're not loyal Democrats or, or liberals necessarily. They just have that party registration because they know if they don't have a voice in the primary, that's it. You know, their, their decisions are being made for them. Is there something going on right now? Like, is, is it a broader issue? 
or is it- with the Democratic Party in general, I right. mean, you got two issues. I mean, they've done a poor job of delivering for what the campaign was I and mean, what happened to the fifteen dollar hour minimum wage, expanding, you know, expanding Medicare, paid family leave. It just seems like the entire agenda agenda is falling apart. So that's disappointing and frustrating. Some of the left flank, and then you know. And then some of the moderates, it's just, or, you know, some of the more moderates and the more partisans, they just want to hate Joe Biden. Let's go Brandon, right? I mean, that's the meme of the week. So there's a little bit of that going on that, and some of the more conservative folks that they really bought into Trump and they didn't, they didn't feel good with the visceral reaction against Trump. So now they have an opportunity to just throw that back in everybody's faces. And there's a little bit of that too, which is a different person, different answer, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I. And I think that's interesting. What you talked about at first is that there are folks who are registered as Dems just so that their political interest does not get lost. Mm-hmm. That's not something that you usually hear uh, the other way. You know, like you don't usually hear a folk saying, well, I'm a registered Republican in a in a heavily Republican area because I don't want my voice to get lost in the shuffle i mean frankly it's commendable by those folks to be honest with you reading the room Mm -hmm. knowing that hey my interest needs to be served the democratic party is the conduit for that and it's like you got to earn those people's votes too yeah and it doesn't mean they're going to vote the party line i mean they're just they may not even vote in the primary they just want that option you know and you see houses you used to see houses that were split like a republican and a democrat in the household I'm seeing less of that on these walk sheets. It's Republicans and blanks or Democrats and blanks. It's like everybody's hunkering down into their camps for uh, for the culture war. I mean, in this uh, the Republican culture war with education, I think they're winning. I think they're winning the, the, the rhetorical argument. I think that they're winning the media cycle on that. And yeah. it's the dumbest thing. You ask, you ask most of the people, what is critical race theory? They can't define it. But they're winning it. We could talk all night long about the failures of messaging of the Democratic Party and and moving forward with their goals. But how about this ballot proposition thing, which is pretty. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Before we leave this, I I just want to leave this one last thing is that in this race for councilmen, you know, the last 11 days of it, there were fake Facebook accounts. I know they're fake. You know who you are. You're listening. (laughs) That were just going out. He's got a cattle prod. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, that were specifically trashing me, you know, like, oh, this guy doesn't recite the Pledge of Allegiance at the board meetings, you know. I'm sorry, religious freedom is a thing in this country. He's a member of the Democratic Socialist of America. That's true. He was a delegate for Bernie Sanders. That's true. But the town voted for Bernie. And people saw all this garbage in these local Facebook groups that was being passed around. That was the Whisper campaign. I was openly supportive of India Walton in a suburb. That would have terrified any other Democratic elected official, you know? And you have some people of principle that said, I, I, I don't want to get involved in the mayor's race at all and respect that. But none of that took me down. I mean, it, there's a lot of people that just say, I don't agree with you on everything. You're an honest guy. You work hard. You know, the, the spirit I brought to that campaign, I bring that to the work that I do with the town, too. My, I like to think my reputation precedes me. And, you know, that, that helped earn people's votes that they might not have voted for any other Democrat. And they said, eh, you're a little too liberal on some things, but... You're good for the town. And that was it, basically. No, and we'll let you talk your shit here, Brian. Oh, yeah. You certainly earned it after after the bloodbath we saw throughout the rest of the Democratic Party. I'm glad to see that you finally got shoes. (laughs) yeah no 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 more foot gifts um no but i mean i i I do think you're right i I think the um 
the Democratic Party as a whole has been failing on their messaging and really uh, articulating what they are trying to accomplish because I don't think necessarily they are in agreement about what the Democratic Party right now should be accomplishing, certainly on a national level. But how about on the state level? The propositions, Jim. Yeah, I mean, the, the, this was just a fucking mess. And I, I tweeted about this, uh, you know, yesterday on election night. I was like, maybe if Jay Jacobs spent less time comparing India Walton to David Duke and spent a little time <laughs> on the fucking ballot propositions. Look at all you saw were, were commercials saying vote no on one, three and four. Uh, I was walking to the polling place and I saw sign after sign vote no on one, three, and four. I didn't say anything to say vote for all five. Right. Well, the, the podcast was the only thing yeah, I know of. The state Republican Party and the state conservative party, they work together to say we have to vote against one, three, and four mm-hmm. because if, if these things pass, the Republicans and conservatives will never win another race in, in New York State. And I saw no op- opposing message. Not, well, I put it on the ballot if you're not if you're not going to promote it. And, With and the propositions, they especially number one, they were asking like six things. Yeah, you, it was yeah. a labyrinth. Yeah, and if in any one of those could have gotten you go from yeah this is fine to I'm not so sure. I think an aspect of that was fixing the number of state senators, if I remember yes. right. Yes. And I have a problem with that. You know, why do you have to fix it at 63? Maybe you can throw a few more in there. I mean, these people are repre- theoretically representing so many people that maybe you want to have 101 of them. So that way that they're a little more responsive to constituents, mm-hmm. you know? So I had a problem with that part, but... People were saying no on one, three, and four. And if you see how screwed up the wording was on one, maybe it gets you to say no to three and four. Because like, ah, those guys might have a point this time. Mm-hmm. And that could have been part of what happened. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I think that's certainly true. And like, and like Ryan said, there was no counter message. Nothing. The Democratic Party, the Working Families Party, the, the two parties in New York State that you would believe would be supporting yes on one, three, and four. Spent zero fucking dollars. If it's on something it. you wanted, if it's something you've believed enough about to put it on the ballot, why not message about it? Why if not? I, why not to convince people? If I remember, typically it was like maybe up eighty five percent or upwards of that. Usually, when these ballot propositions get put on, they almost always get voted through. So what happened yesterday in regards to those was the exception to the rule. You know, it says unusual. But there was a lot of unusual about what happened in the elections. New Jersey's going to get a Republican governor again. Right. Yeah. Well, and the ballot propositions, and I, I might have missed if somebody said this, but Jay Jacobs came out and said, we, we spent zero dollars on these ballot propositions. 300,000 ballots were not filled in for the ballot propositions, meaning people went to the polls, filled out the races, turned the ballot around, and were like, no. Or didn't even flip it. Mm-hmm. Truly, truly a, a massive unforced error. It didn't have to happen this way. It's a major failure for democracy in New York State, and we are certainly going to be disenfranchising just so many people as a result of this, and it's because the Democrats did not have the willpower, whether it was entrenched interest wanting to not have their seats threatened in any way, or if it was the corporate interests who didn't want to expand voting rights. I mean, there's a whole host of culprits here that we can point to. But the political will was not there from the state party to have these pass. Well, like I said, either state party. I said, you know, the Working Families Party should have been involved in this too. Yeah. Yeah. Where the fuck were they? Honestly, like what? It's, man. And again, this comes back to, you know, we're not the national politics podcast, but 
at the same time, like the fights that we're seeing on this state and local level are the same fights that are happening at the national level in the Democratic Party. They have not put together who they want to be. They have not aligned themselves yet. And it's a major infighting that they can't even get the signature bill passed, you know, through the Senate. And it's ultimately being held up by by those corporate interests. And again, like they're going to they're going to lose themselves a lot more races. The 2022, mm-hmm. again, we're not the, you know, the national politics podcast, but I think it's unless be, we pivot, unless we pivot. Sure. Why not? <laughs> Fuck it. Speaking of pivots, can we talk about a damn Dickman? Oh, for a minute in Dan Lancaster. Lancaster. Dick Man. Dick Man, the big winner. The big winner. I mean, so Lancaster is, obviously, I live there, and it's fucked up. Like, when I was a kid and when I was growing up, it was a solidly Democratic town. It, yeah. Democrats won every single race. In fact, when Dino Fadoli won the supervisor's race, it was the first time a Republican had been supervisor in like 28 years or something like that. It was something crazy. So what the fuck happened in Lancaster? It's, it's beginning... A lot redder very, very quickly. The folks moving in, you would say? The new residents coming in? I think there's also a lot of blanks switching to R. And I think you get a lot of D switching to blank. Okay. Uh, now, because even when the Democrats would win, they would also be on the, on the conservative line. They were, mm-hmm. oh, it was always uh, the, the, Democrat, the conservative party in the town of Lancaster was run by the Democratic Party in the town of Lancaster. So you got a couple of things going on now as well. You also have like... You want to talk about a town committee that's a, a mess? Lancaster is a fucking mess. There's like nobody on the committee and nobody does anything. Can I say this? And man, I might get into some trouble. I'm going to meddle in Lancaster's politics for a second. Y'all need, need a new chairman for your town party. Yeah. Fire him. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, he, that's it, all right. You want to come for me? Come for me. They tried coming for me yesterday and go take a look <laughs> at how I did. Come at the king. You best not miss. Yeah. It, it's, and, and I mean, what they did this year was they worked with the Republican Party in the town of Lancaster, or at least some of the Republicans in the town of Lancaster, because the Republicans in Lancaster had a split as well, mm-hmm. where you had a more moderate sect and the Dickman and his ilk are very conservative Trump-type Republicans fought fighting in the town of Lancaster Republican Party. So you had the Democratic chairman and a former Republican chairman working in the primaries to try to like vote the Democratic candidates through the Republican primary because the two Democrats, or the two, quote, Democrats who ran for uh, council this year who got crushed One's a registered Republican, one's a registered conservative. They didn't even find any registered Democrats to run. Hmm. And then, and then there's probably not much liberal or progressive about those candidates either. I'd no, so no. I mean, so what the hell's the point of it? Like, right. And Tadaro was left without an opponent Un- either. So totally now he's got a big pile of money, right? And that didn't have to happen, you know. And I mean, in credit to my town chairman, there were some efforts made on on the Chitawaga side of the thing to recruit a candidate. What kind of deal was made to, to leave that? Right. And, and, well, because all that is, is that, you know, that is a problem for future Monica Wallace. If you have a county legislator saying they're just a piling up money and name recognition and just going through literally fucking unopposed. That used to be the swing district in the county legislature. Bruso won it the year that I got first ele- got elected to the town board. You yeah. Know, not by a lot. And the Working Families Party line helped carry him over. But he wanted, you know, and he was a good fit for the district. Mm-hmm. He a genuinely decent human being, you know. 
I can't say anything about Frank. I've never met him, but I'd prefer John Brusso there. Right. I mean, and but this was a flip flop district that every couple of years went back and forth. You know, before Brusso, you had Ted Morton there for a couple of years. Before that, you had like I don't know Kathy Const and, and shit like that, and Denise Marshall going back twenty years. You were lucky to hold on to that seat for more than four years because it was such a a, a toss up district, and now it's just apparently just a free gift for the Republicans. Well, let's get back to Dick Man. Dick Man. So he he won the top spot. He won yeah. more votes than anyone else. Right, Lancaster, as Brian said when we got here, was like was like sexually harassing uh, a, a young worker. Yes, we love it. Give us more. Yes, please. It's uh, your people, Jim. That is that is my people. That's my tribe. We're singing the song of my people here. Uh. You know, I I don't know the internal politics of the town of Lancaster well enough. Mm. I mean, I, I know enough to say get a new chairman. Uh, but in terms of the Republican side or with uh, with Dickman here, I mean, does, does he have a lot of roots in the community? I know he works for the, the, the village there. Like, what was it that gave him the edge to come out first? Was it just name recognition? I mean, did he have uh, organized groups besides the Republicans supporting him? He, he does. Like, the organized Republicans that he has supporting him are very organized. So they, as opposed to the Lancaster Democrats, who are just a total fucking mess doing nothing but other than hanging on to what little power they have as chair, the, the Republicans who are organized, you know, they, in Lancaster, it was very strange to see, like the Dickman, Burkhart, Palato signs, like this was like the town slate this year. Mm-hmm. They weren't, their signs weren't up just at people's individual homes. They were up at lots, and I mean, meant lots of businesses. I saw some of that. You know, and I'm not, and I don't mean like, yeah, they were up at like Alley Oops Restaurant at the corner of Genesee and Harris Hill, which, you know, however many employees they have there. But it was also up in front of the Manitoba Corporation on Central Avenue, which is one of the larger employers in the town of Lancaster. They leveraged their connections and their work to get so. You know, Manitoba Corporation employs a couple hundred people in the town of Lancaster. Yeah, I mean, to to me, um, and I don't, you know, Jim, you're the resident expert on Dick Man, so <laughs> I I dare not question your knowledge. But something that Brian was talking about earlier, vis a vis the committees, or you know, are the basically like the people who are involved in the infrastructure on the town levels and. And it's like, I I just think when you look at the Democratic Party as a national organization, the trickle down of their malaise is that how do you get people on a local level to want to become involved with that? Well, it's I would argue it's not just it's saying that it's at the national level is giving Jeremy Zellner a free ride for sure. Democratic Party for sure, because I I would argue that this in this is hyper local and this comes out of headquarters. They don't want somebody to be an effective town chair because that means they might be a threat to being county chair for sure and i would believe you me i'm never letting zell nuts off the hook not on this podcast not ever i'm just saying like we have seen you know like why why would you get involved in this stuff other than civic duty and and belief in in certain principles and and believing that you know the democratic party is the best conduit for your interests for working people's interests but at least in erie county like where would you be getting that you know and i from this election cycle i look at this and it's an opportunity more so than a source of being distressed uh because you've got a lot of committees that they're not full they're not fully stacked there's open seats there's Mm -hmm. open seats in south buffalo right yeah 
There's open seats in Chictawaga. You know, there's open seats in a lot of these committees. The opportunity to just get people appointed. And you got a lot of these folks that worked on the Walton operation, folks in my orbit, folks in the activist community generally that they're working on campaigns. They've registered Democrats so they can vote in the primary. They're working on the issues they care about. But you tell them about this committee... They're like, I don't want to do it. And I was like, there's three meetings a year, maybe. <laughs> right. You know, you, you're basically there to steer the, the endorsement the way your heart desires. Join the damn committee. If there's but, one takeaway from this podcast, join the damn committee. Join the damn committee. Yeah, there's you no know? there's no value. I don't want to say there's no value, but I think a lot of well-meaning folks might have the opinion that, well, I'm an outsider and I help out. You know, I somebody who might have put in a lot of work for the Walton campaign, say, might value their outsider status. But truly, I mean, you can be so much more effective politically to have the chance to have more India Waltons by being on the committees. Well, and also, like, my question would be, like, oh, you're, you're so you're an outsider, you worked on the India Walton campaign, and if she won, you would have been like, well, fuck India Walton, I can't wait to run somebody against her because you want to be an outsider? Or do you actually want to affect change? Because if you actually want to affect change, get on the fucking committee. That's a, that's a impassioned. Uh, never mind. You, you made the point. <laughs> never, mind. never mind. Yeah, yeah. J- Jim just cattle prodded all you listeners, right? So, but now I, I want to talk about uh, a very near and dear to my heart election that happened yesterday. Yes, supervisor in the town of Marilla. Now Marilla is a very Republican town, but the Republican candidate lost. Okay, who won? Skip Gingrich. Skip. Skip Gingrich. On what line? Well, he ran out. He had two lines. He did have the conservative line, which was huge. Now, the Republican had the independence line. Okay. Or some independence line. Yeah. He had the Marilla Patriot Party. Wow. Okay. And the and he carried it to victory on the Marilla Patriot Party. Now, Skip Gingrich is a former supervisor in the town of Marilla, so it's not his first time around. Our, our listeners know Skip Gingrich. Okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure they've got their, you know, give me Skip t-shirts. Skip Gingrich. Win one for the skipper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's uh, there's a lot of those fun little races, folks, that we are not going to take too many deep dives into. Right. Because- a- another one that's a little close to my heart is back in Lancaster. In Lancaster, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but we're the only town this side of the Hudson River that votes for our library trustees. I saw that. And uh, hey, and and so yesterday was vote for two. Yeah, for a six year term, someone special one, someone special. My mother, Big Jim's wife, Barb Tamel. <laughs> All right. That's uh, okay. this, I believe this is her fourth term, which was going to put her in twenty four years in the, as a library trustee. Yeah, that rocks. That's she, so cool. She's she's, she's she, the she's the Chuck Grassley of Lancaster. <laughs> so she was running on all lines, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, just uh, just rep and dem, rep and dem. Okay, but I think was, she won rep. Uh, I think she did win the 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 rep vote and yeah. lost the overall vote because Sue Jacobs, who was listed first, got a bunch of votes. I am sure that one of the reasons why Sue Jacobs won is because it, my mom was the very last column on the ballot, and there were probably people who wrote in Byron Brown because it was <laughs> the far right corner. I can see you doing that. Um, you, how many, to how many votes for uh, for how many Byron Brown votes do you think went for Judge? You know, I mean, there's a lot of people that could bring them themselves to vote for Ray Walter. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I threw one in there. I I also want to say real quick about the Byron Brown is he was very fortunate that the mayor's race was the very last uh, mm-hmm. 
on that so that he could just say in the bottom right hand corner write in byron brown if it was like the sixth fucking column out of like 17 columns it man those ballots would be a fucking mess i was 15 to vote drop off yeah I was 15th to vote in, in my district in Kenmore at 7.30 in the morning, and someone was already trying to write in Byron Brown in Kenmore. I imagine what they had to go through all day, but that, that messaging stuck. I heard some of that in, uh, it was happening in Amherst. I'm sure a little bit of it happened in Chituaga. Because even in Chituaga, you saw some of the, the Byron signs and the Walton signs pouring over from the city line. Yeah. So there was a yep. interest all over the county on that one. But the minor parties, there were a bunch of them that were out there. Boston United, Back the Blue. Pave Hamburg, United for Amherst, Stefan had his support police line, the Integrity Party in Colden, uh, support police line, and then Kim Beattie had that justice and peace line. I don't know how many votes she got on it, but she had a minor line too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, we we often preach the importance of minor party lines here, and, you know, certainly the working families did not have the kind of election that, uh, frankly, the Democratic candidates would have needed. For them to to really show out, I, I certainly voted across the working families line, yeah, everywhere I could, and I hope our listeners did the same. But yes. you know, it, uh, those minor lines, man, they're it sounds so silly to even think about because on the one hand, you're like, okay, I know where somebody is pretty clearly aligned. If they're a Republican, you know, it, mm-hmm. who cares if they get the whatever justice and whatever fucking judge dread? <laughs> Just real quick, where did Democrats do well? Tonawanda and Amherst, right? Yeah, Tonawanda and Amherst. Uh, I did hear a a rumor that one of the things that helped the Democrats in Amherst, besides the fact that a lot of them had the conservative line, was that uh, the Republican chairman for the town of Amherst was so obsessed with India Walton because he was convinced that if India Walton won, the city of Buffalo would die and the suburbs would die and there would be like eight people left in Erie County. So he abandoned his candidates in the town of Amherst. And spent all of his time working on the Byron Brown campaign. Wow, okay. You think the Tonawanda results? I don't know what their typical turnout is. And, I mean, it's a turn, It's a town that's going for more and more blue. And I think you had a team there that was devoting some real energy towards, you know, getting out the vote and doing that. I saw a lot of Shannon Patch signs out there, good share Jill O'Malley signs out there. So, obviously, the ticket was working. It was an all-woman ticket, so... You put an all-woman ticket together, they're going to do the work. Well, and, you, and know? You, you also got, uh, I, I saw a fair amount of work. Sorry, man, it's true. Yes, <laughs> they're gonna, but they're going to do the work. But it, it, We're sloths. We, we are. But it, one man who did do some work, I saw out there uh, fairly active campaigning, was John Barnacy, the county ledge candidate, mm-hmm. which overlapped with uh, them in Tonawanda. And then Hardwick was out of Tonawanda, too. So, right. I mean, yeah. it, maybe all that converged. Yeah, they certainly have an active operation out there, and they, they definitely... I mean, they definitely showed out in this race. So not all doom and gloom if you are a member of the Democratic Party here in Western New York. Um, real quick, guys, I know you know we're in the postmortem here, but there is some serious pressing news of the week here that we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about, and that's on the labor front. Uh, these are people who, hey, they are actually doing the work and advocating for their own interests yeah. and facing some serious uphill battles let's touch real quick on the cwa strike where are we at with that jim fuck catholic health yes fuck those cocksuckers those pieces of shit those bastards fuck them so listener in case you are unaware why we are throwing the expletives around like they're candy on halloween catholic health has since announced that they will be cutting health care 
for the striking workers of the CWA. So mind you, they've come to an agreement on most things on this contract, except for the safe staffing. Why wouldn't you want to have safe staffing? Why, that sounds expensive. Yeah. Oh, well, who, who, whose pocket does it not line if they're safe staffing, if yeah. they're paying for staffing? Well, I, my guess is the uh, the executives are making millions. Right. Okay. And you can even say, hey, if we if we put this in cold, hard numbers and we don't have the nurses, what happens? I mean, you don't have the bodies to fully do that. But you got to have that as a goal. You got to set the benchmarker at something less than 8 to 1, 9 to 1, 10 to 1. You can't keep running you know, floors of the hospital like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. And, and clearly there's some money being made by these hospitals because they're spending tens of millions on scabs. <laughs> yeah. Scabs are making out, aren't they? Yeah. And I mean, this is the logical endpoint of healthcare being run as a for-profit industry that you have hospitals being businesses. And so they're run as businesses. And so they're treating their labor force basically like a business would and trying to kneecap them as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, I get it, but this is people's livelihood. This is, you know, like this is literally life or death. And they're tired of being squeezed. Right. Tired of being stressed out and overworked. Well, and they're them being stressed out. And they take pride in their work and they don't want to leave people behind in a hospital. Them being stressed out and overworked means people die. Yeah. If you have nurses, if you have hospital workers who have been up working a shift for 14 hours nonstop and they're dealing with, I don't know, your mom, your dad. Your grandma. It's on their it's on the nurse's conscience, but it's not on the executive conscience, is it? Right. And funny and, how that works. Right. And if they're if they're stressed and overworked and and not given the the amount of not not staffed at level that they're supposed to be, it's not like you know the fucking person at the Amazon warehouse. And you're like, oh, now where are my rubber bands? They ordered. How come they took two days to get here? Like, yeah. like my know, rubber bands are life and death. Okay, yeah, yeah. Your rubber bands are. My rubber bands are a very casual thing for my my life. It's it's so ridiculous, and I mean, God love them. More more power to. Uh, to the Catholic, uh, or to the CWA, those poor uh, people—they don't have health care anymore. Yeah, that's Done. that's ridiculous. The people who are who have devoted their lives to health care and to giving health care to others are now being told, "Go fuck yourself." Those rich dicks cut it. Yeah, so fuck them. You know, at awesome. some point in the future, we'll be at a place where the uh, business and, and management and cannot use health care as a way to to weaken the union, and it'll. Be unconditional, yep. you know. Yep. I don't understand why we're still running this through employers when we have plenty of examples in other countries on how to do it better. But yep. anyways, yeah. well, that's that's the CWA, the state of the CWA strike. Some uh, good news on the Starbucks front. Yes. So what's going on with Starbucks, Rye? Well, evidently, uh, they're they're going to be able to vote on a store by store basis to unionize. Yep. And LRB came through and was like, "Listen, Starbucks." We got an idea for you, and it starts with go and ends with fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting wrinkle. Now, why is it important that the Starbucks stores can vote independently? Brian, maybe you could shed some light on this for us. Why is it? Because initially Starbucks said uh, stores have to 
uh, vote in mass, right? And NLRB came down and said, no, that's not that's not it. Why is that important? Well, a couple couple reasons. Uh, one, you get more than one bite at the apple if you got multiple votes. So let's say one store isn't successful some, for some reason. You can get a bargain unit set up at another store. And the other thing is just the sheer size of it. It's harder to steer dozens or hundreds of people into getting a majority vote. And it's a little easier when you're talking with five or ten people. You could spend more time with a smaller electorate um, really pleading your case and answering every one of their questions and doing what you can to build each indi- individual vote. So mm-hmm. in the case of the store-by-store basis, you know, they had a better chance of succeeding by doing that that way instead of doing a single vote. Take the the Amazon vote in Alabama. You had to get a lot of people on the same page, you know, and it took some time to do that. Here, you know, they've obviously been talking and organizing, but now that you're dealing with th- smaller groups, I think they got a better chance to to win at all three now and, and pull everybody in. Right. I I I mean, and I've noticed. So uh, the the Starbucks that's closest to my house is the one on Cheek on Genesee Street in Cheek mm-hmm. across from the airport, and they're one of the organizing stores, and they have been really getting fucked around by the Starbucks management. They they closed for renovations for like two weeks. I went in there. I barely noticed the renovations. Uh, and now they've got like extremely like short hours there. They've got them working like seven to five thirty. Because I went to stop and get a coffee literally yesterday on the way into the into Kenmore to so we could watch the results. And I got there at five thirty, and they were like, "Sorry, we we close at five thirty now for some reason." What the shit? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was going to be some element to that certainly, and I I have to expect that a. Uh, multi-billion dollar company like Starbucks will uh, continue to pull some sort of tactics like that uh, in the future. But hey, you know what? A win is a win. You take them where you can get them. And shout out to those Starbucks fucking unionizers, man. Oh, like, yeah. Join the damn committee. Yeah. yeah. If you're in a labor union, join the damn committee. And yes. I mean, and that's part of what would help uh, in... in it's helped to a certain extent in Hamburg. That's what would help in, in Cheektowaga and in Lancaster and places where we can use a little bit more of that blood. If you're if you're an organized labor, if you're in a labor union, you're getting kind of active in things, join the damn committee. And it doesn't have to be the Democratic committee. If you lean right of center, join the party committee. Get involved in that stuff. You're basically doing it already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, well, well said, Brian. And So, Brian, what's up with this cattle prod? What are we doing with this right now? You ever shock someone with a cattle prod? I'm not sure. I know, and I'm not sure that I want to. Is it safe? Jim? I might be. Convince me. Uh, well, uh, let's get this on, on tape. The s and hour. Yeah, I'm going to take this off. I don't want to hurt the equipment. <laughs> okay. Square, square pod after Do you need someone to catch you if you fall, Brian? No. Well, you got to press the button and then put it against my skin. <laughs> okay. Oh! Okay, all right. That's what that's what winners get. Okay, right, that's what, yeah. So uh, we'll be doing that at the Christmas party. That's the Cheektowaga tradition. <laughs> By the way, it looks like there's going to be a day change at the Christmas party. We haven't figured that out yet, but uh, watch for that. It'll, yes. be, it'll be near the original day. We had a little scheduling conflict. With a little, the little snafu, but so. we'll, we'll get it out there. We'll update you. And um, yep. if for whatever reason you can't make the party because the change date and you already bought a ticket, we, we can we'll, figure we'll out. get you back. We'll get you back. Yep. Brian, where, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter. Um, honestly, I, I forgot my own Twitter <laughs> handle. We'll post it. We'll post it. it, it in light of uh, the cattle prod incident. Uh, you can find me on... <laughs> 
<laughs> you can find me on Facebook, Brian Nowak. Jim? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at James Tamel. That's my name. Yeah. Um, and you can find me on Instagram at Battle Jim of the Republic. Riyadh. Yeah. But you can find the Square Podcast, of course, uh, as you might see on the chalkboard at Essex Street Pub. At Square Pod <laughs> Buff. That's two Fs in Buff. And we are also on Instagram. We're also, you know, where we are. I mean, yeah, if you're you know. if you're a regular listener, you found us uh, probably a while back, and you haven't and, haven't looked back since. And right now, I'm at the Real Ron Steel. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks. <laughs>